0: everyone, Mike Vogel here for WashingtonCAPS.com. Welcome to another episode of Breaking the Ice, and this time we're joined by one of the newest members of the CAPS organization, Dr. Amy Kimball, who is Senior Director of Team and Organizational Development. And first off, Dr. Kimball, welcome to the capitals, welcome to the area. It's great to have you here. And we look forward to learning more about wh- what you're going to be doing here. Thank with, you. with the Caps.
1: Yeah, it's been great so far. I've really enjoyed this first week.
0: Um, you, you bring a an abundance of education and experience to this job. A couple of master's degrees, a PhD, ten years, and two Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Five years with the New Jersey Devils. Uh, I, I think this is an underappreciated area of of the game, and and really of sports and, and athletics um, that you deal with the mental aspect of it so I'm, I'm very intrigued and interested to, to hear about how you you came to this as as a career path and and how early because it, it seemed like really right from maybe even undergraduate that this was something that that you had in mind and and just were, were driven to to get to
1: it was I actually knew my junior year in high school that this wow. is what I wanted to do so it, it does go way back at this point um, I was a uh, I did three sports in high school and so I was very passionate about sports and athletics and I was taking a psychology class and I just thought everything about the mind was fascinating and one day I was reading a magazine article. It was written by a sports psychologist, and it was the first time I knew that that was even a profession that existed. And so it was something I was interested in. I told my parents. They bought me a book, and then I was hooked after that.
0: Um, What what sports did you play?
1: I played basketball, soccer, and softball. Hockey didn't exist in my hometown.
0: Wh- what is your hometown? I'm,
1: I'm from yes. Evansburg, Pennsylvania. It's okay. in the middle of Pennsylvania.
0: So... Halfway between Philly and Pittsburgh, I um, guess? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, how, how was it that you came about getting started professionally? Because uh, I know you do stuff outside the realm of sports as well, but how did you get started, I guess, with, with the Penguins or... What was your entree?
1: Yeah, so after grad school, so I went to University of Tennessee, and then I applied for different jobs, and I got a position at um, Sports Medicine Center in Pittsburgh, and they were the medical providers for the penguins. And then after about a year, I was there, they called and asked if I would come to their development camp and do a mental training talk for their players, so I did that. And then there's the coaches were in there and they'd asked if I start working with the team. And honestly, I didn't know a ton about hockey. Like I'd watched it before and seen it, but I didn't know a great deal. Um, so over the last sixteen years, there's a lot of learning that's taken place. But it was a great opportunity, and I, I was appreciative of it.
0: I feel like too that in, in this game, especially. Now, um, there's obviously 32 teams in, in the league. Um, this year, there's, there's, it's, the standings are so tight that any little advantage, any little thing that you can do to improve your team um, gives you a potential edge. So uh, we've seen over the last couple of decades uh, a renewed emphasis or I I should say a new emphasis on things like nutrition, uh, skills training, physical training. I mean I've been around here long enough to remember when guys would smoke cigarettes between intermissions of of actual games and guys would come to training camp to get in shape. Those days are long gone now but it's just always seemed to me that attention to the mental aspect of the game has lagged. I mean, I've talked to hundreds of players over the years, and um, if I had a dollar for every time somebody talked about confidence and how important it is or mental aspects of the game, and, and you know, some guys are more dialed into it than others for sure. Um, I, I just think it's I'm. – I'm really happy to see you here – Taking on this this responsibility, and and I'm still kind of incredulous that there aren't 32 of you huh. scattered around uh, the league. How important is it that that we start paying more heed to to what goes on between the ears of of these athletes?
1: Well, yeah, it touches on a lot of what you say. It's definitely grown, and this is about. I'm about to start my 16th season. So it's grown a lot since I began where it is more commonplace and more teams do have somebody that they use, but it's certainly not every team and it's not consistent either. And what I find is that a lot of times at the beginning, it used to be thought of, oh, if you have a problem go talk to somebody about it and my approach is much different like let's work on the mental aspect of your game to prevent problems from occurring so much like if you need to get stronger you'll go to the weight room a little more often it's the same thing if mentally you need to get tougher you need to work on it as well and I think athletes are starting to realize how important that mental side is particularly as you go from one level to the next so if you're going from juniors or college to the minor leagues or the minor leagues and you finally get your shot that you realize you might not have been challenged as much at the previous level, and so now it's time to really work on that part of your game. And so this part of why they brought me in, is to really help with those transitional times and with the younger players. Um, and then on top of that, when you're looking at whether they're veterans or first-year guys, understanding that your skills don't disappear. If you're good one day, you should be good the next. What often changes is your mentality. So if your confidence is wavering or you're focusing on the wrong things, then Learning how to become more mentally consistent, so you can become more physically consistent.
0: I also think that, you know, there's the pro athletes' um, shelf life is is short, right? You might play until you're 40 if if you're exceptional, um, but your your mental peak comes so far after your physical peak. There's I've seen so many guys that had so much talent and and maybe squandered it because they didn't realize what they had and what they needed to do to kind of mobilize it. And by the time they figured that out, those physical skills and those gifts that they had were kind of on the wane. Uh, You know, and and there's, there's other factors involved too. I mean, nobody can expect people in their late teens and early twenties to have it all together. And, and I think it's, it's, it's just a matter of sometimes giving them that guidance and, and sort of directing them and, 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 paying some attention to the, to this area that you know has heretofore kind of been neglected.
1: Yeah, and I end up in that role a lot where players are talking to me because I've talked to so many young players, and uh, just talking to them, and it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Sometimes it is tough love, and you have to tell them things they might not want to hear, but it's getting them to understand that if they want to have a career, they need to listen to the people around them. We have great development staff here who works with some of the young prospects and amateurs, and then when you look at the coaching staff in Hershey, and here's Washington as well, everybody's trying to do their best to develop this player. But then at some point it's up to the player to really listen to what's being said, being open to it, even if it's not what he wants to hear, recognizing that they're looking out for his own good and trying to get him to be the best that they can be. And so I'll be part of that process of talking to them and giving them that advice and helping them through things. Sometimes it's off the ice things too. So maybe they're looking for a present for their girlfriend and they need somebody to talk to that about or trying to figure out how to um, rent a car. Little things like that that they may have never done if they hadn't lived on their own before. And so just having someone that they can turn to if they're struggling that they trust and kind of understands what they go through.
0: That's a great point, too, because I, I think hockey players are pretty good about integrating younger players into the mix, I think more so than, than other sports, um, but this is, for, for a lot of them, their first time away from home, and, and the training wheels are kind of off, and I mean, there's there's a lot of stories. Uh, we had a guy who didn't even know how to turn up the thermostat in his, in his apartment, so somebody was going, this is 20 years ago, but we would go pick him up and... Step inside. You know, Why is it so cold in here? Well, God, I don't know. I didn't know I could control that. Um, you know, writing a checkbook, uh, handling a checkbook, writing checks. Well, I thought I still had money because I still had checks. You know, another guy with with that kind of a story didn't understand that. You know, if if your balance goes below zero, you should not still be writing those those checks. So it it is, you know, everybody's different as far as what they got growing up and right. what they assimilated from their parents, especially athletes, because their concentration was, you know, outside of what a lot of us were were doing at that age. Uh, I guess coaches always talk about how okay, you know, this guy might respond to a pat on the back. This guy might respond to a kick in the ass do do you have to kind of get to know guys and and figure out which is which or do you not concern yourself I
1: do but usually I just ask them directly of Mm -hmm. what how they respond best what motivates them Um, but also knowing that sometimes what they want isn't what they need either so you do have to push them um and so i do like to really get to know them on the individual level and what makes them tick and what motivates them and without judgment i think that's a big part of it yeah. um if somebody's more focused on building an nhl career and that's what they want then being in the minor leagues it's okay but getting them to think about well what they need to do at one level to get to the next level first um and so not making it sound like they're selfish cuz they want something else it, it's a good thing because they are driven, they are ambitious, and kind of supporting who they are, but getting them to recognize how that might impact the people around them.
0: And given the, given the um, landscape of the pandemic that we've all been navigating here over the last 18 months, and hopefully the worst of it's behind us, but I don't think any of us can count on anything right now as far as that goes. But I'm guessing, you know, knowing that just what I personally went through last year, traveling and and the isolation that was involved in last season, how absolutely and utterly different it was from every single season that came before it. Um, I'm sure guys are dealing with a lot in that regard as well. Are are you hearing some of those things? And and what do you tell people who are, you know, struggling with with some of those? Yeah. And I,
1: I think a lot of the players are really excited to get into it and get back into how it used to be where they can go to dinners on the road they can hang out with each other more because that's the fun part of it too it's not just the competition it's being with each other and so they're really looking forward to building that camaraderie and getting to know each other a lot better and on a deeper level too because they miss that so I think they're really really excited about that on the flip side they have to get used to travel because it's not Day trips anymore. It's not yeah. a couple nights in the same city. It's going to be play a game, go somewhere else that same evening. So getting back into those travel habits and patterns. So it doesn't make it better or worse. It just is different than it was. And I think that's all. Sport is being able to adapt and overcome whatever challenges you face, whether it's on the ice or off the ice.
0: We we've also started to pay a lot more attention to recovery um, over over recent years. We you know, a lot of times now. Um, we will stay over uh, on the west coast rather than fly back and take the red eye back and you know guys are landing and they might have had a fitful nap on the plane and now it's you know eight o'clock in the morning and the day is starting but I mean you didn't really sleep what do you what do you do we we, we typically stay over in that situation and fly home fully rested the next day but I think there there needs to be some some attention paid to, to mental recovery as well. I mean, you lay down to go to sleep at night. If you just lay there and look at at your ceiling and and don't move a muscle for eight hours, sure your body, didn't, your body rested, but your mind is still racing through that. You're not going to be refreshed or or, or you're not going to feel good at all, and even. You know, in hockey, you you, you take a 45-second shift, you sit for a couple of minutes, you go back out. But all that focus, all that attention, all that reading and reacting and paying attention to angles and the geometry of the game, it, it takes a, a tax and a toll out of you. Do we need to be more mindful of how guys are recovering mentally as well as physically from You know, maybe from shift to shift, but certainly from game to game.
1: Yeah, and definitely that the post-game period is really important of how they just decompress everything. And there are some guys that go over every single shift in their head or they want to watch video Mm -hmm. right after. But that helps them because then they're not thinking about it at night. Other people need to just let it go and then... Focus on it in the morning. And so, really talking to them about how to let it go, how to separate what happened from what you need to do now to recover. Um, Some players I'll work with deep breathing or mindfulness and meditation and encouraging those kind of things. Other players I encourage journaling to just get everything out of their head, get it on paper so they can get a good night's sleep. But there are lots of techniques they can do to help them clear their mind and allow them to fall asleep. But it it's definitely a thing that a lot of players struggle with is that going to sleep after playing a game and being amped up that whole time. So physically they're tired, but mentally their mind's always racing. So giving them that is a skill.
0: I mean, we just saw Jonathan Drouin came out. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens the other day mentioned that he took last season off because he'd been struggling with insomnia and anxiety, which – I mean, in the, in these times, I think we can all relate to that. Um, just that, and the Simone Biles uh, situation with the Olympics uh, the last this this past summer have have kind of put some of these things on the map a little bit. And you alluded to some of the tools: journaling, um, meditation, breathing, any anything else in in the toolkit that that these guys can use do you you recommend any recommended readings or anything like that
1: yeah there's lots of books and it really depends on the individual Mm -hmm. um sometimes i'll give them stories from other athletes sometimes it'll be um something from business that might help them just to get a different mindset about things but a lot of times i find that giving them somebody to talk to really helps or writing it down and getting things out of their head um there's different apps like Headspace and Calm are yeah. great apps for teaching people how to just slow everything down and control their mind. So I recommend those. And then doing different cognitive behavioral techniques with them to teach them how to change their thoughts a little bit. And that's often what I find is that if somebody's an anxious person, that's just that's okay they they might be just wired to worry a little bit but teaching them how to turn it off when they need to but then also when they have those worries how to process them in, in a way that's helpful for them too so it's not necessarily a bad thing if they're like that but they need to learn to control it a little bit so giving them those skills because sometimes people just say oh calm down it's not that big of a deal but they're never taught how to do that so
0: yeah i'm a big fan of mindspace myself um what what were your big takeaways from, from the 10 years with, with Pittsburgh and the five years with New Jersey? Because two completely different situations there. The Penguins were in the playoffs pretty much every year during your time there, and they won the, the two Stanley Cups. And, and you went to New Jersey, and that's a rebuilding situation. And they've, they've absolutely made some, some headway there, but they're still kind of on the climb uh, trying to get to where they want to be.
1: I learned winning is hard <laughs> it's not that easy and the culture of the team really really matters and so when I was with Pittsburgh they had a great culture they knew how to win they had standards and it was throughout the organization from the top all the way down and everybody just knew the detailed matters the habits matter your competitiveness in practice and in games, those things were important and it was just an expectation. And coming into New Jersey, it was kind of rebuilding some of that because it was it's a struggle when you are seeing losing more than you are winning. And so kind of building that culture through the draft and the people that we brought in and recognizing that, when you are drafting players, it's not just you're drafting a bunch of good players. You It's the people behind it as well. And so you're not just building a group of players. You're building a team. And so looking at the characteristics and identifying those characteristics ahead of time. Because it does matter. The, the culture of the team, that desire to win, and how hard it really is to win, that all the little pieces add up into making a difference.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up culture. That's another thing I had on my list here. Um, how would you define Culture and and what goes into not just building it but maintaining it once once it's there because it, it, so many times when there's a coaching change or a change in the general managership of a team you'll hear well we we thought our culture deteriorated a little bit we need someone who's going to come in here and sort of shore that up for us
1: to me culture is the shared values and behaviors so the things that are really really important and then how that influences how people act and behave and the choices that they make. And so you might say we value competition and that's something that we want to be part of our culture, but the behaviors of people might not be aligned with that. So really what you say and what you do when there's an alignment, that's what your culture actually is. And so by recognizing here's what's important to us, here's what is going to help us to win, and then making sure the behaviors of everybody are aligned with that. That's how you build that culture.
0: Are there ways to build in sort of daily reminders, whether it's these, um, whether it can be images around the, the locker room or in the hallways, you know, as you're going out to the ice. I see things like that in, in places like Detroit, Um places that that, where they know a little bit about winning
1: yeah well of course there's you can put words in your locker room and you can put images all over but those are just words and images Mm -hmm. it's what you live and what you do ted lasso is a great example of it he's got the word believe up there but it's getting everyone to buy into that and believe it so it's not just the word that's up it's how you go about putting that in your daily life and I think it's from the leadership of the team it's from the coaches it's from management everybody buying in and holding people accountable and enforcing it and from my everything that I've heard about this organization and the people I talk to they have it they have what it takes and so then it's just sustaining that over time and making sure it's always there um and i the culture here seems to be really an amazing place.
0: Yeah, it hasn't always been that way. I, I can say, but yeah, for sure it's 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 gotten we, we we it's gotten broken a couple of times, but they they've managed to to it of fix it and yeah, i think it's i think it's pretty good right now. Um and i know you you had mentioned drafting um earlier too but even even that I, have you, have you any experience going to the, the combine in, in Buffalo? Yeah. I went once and, and years ago, before I think they started administering um, the psych tests, which I understand they, they do now. And I, I thought the whole process is, is kind of fascinating. It's, it's a little bit bizarre on, on some uh, angles, but it, it makes sense to me that you would want to have a little bit of a window into the minds of these guys. It's such a crazy thing where you're trying to take 17 and 18 year old athletes and project what they're going to be like at the age of 22 23 not just as like you alluded to earlier not just as athletes but as humans and as you know character and 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 things like that 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 matter um because you're basically placing bets yeah on on these guys and what goes into that trying to divine which of these guys because you know as it stands now if, if you're hitting around tw- 28 30 percent you're doing quite well and it just seems like if you could nudge that up to around 35 percent then you're you've got that competitive advantage that we talked about a yeah, little bit and earlier it's, it's
1: hard so I've been involved in the combine probably for about Ten years now, um, interviewing the players and also doing the the psychological profiling, and it is hard because they are eighteen year olds. But there's certain things you look for that you want in a player, and then there's certain things that are red flags. And so, if some of those red flags come up, and as your scouts do their due diligence, if they support what you're finding too, then you have to take a step back and say, is this somebody we want to bring in our organization? Maybe they're not a maybe they're not a bad person, but Maybe it's somebody who you don't think is going to reach their potential because they're not a hard worker, they're not coachable, they don't have the ability to manage stress, whatever those flags are. And so it's really understanding that. And then just making sure it is the type of person that you want that isn't going to be bringing negativity into the locker room. On the flip side, too, I look for characteristics that could make a player maybe a diamond in the rough. Is there something, is he an extreme leader? Is he super competitive? Is he coachable? Does he have a growth mindset? So there's certain characteristics you look for and say, this guy has what it takes to make it. And so you might take a chance on him over somebody that maybe doesn't have those characteristics. So it might not jump players huge amounts in the draft, but maybe for choosing between a couple players, it could make the difference.
0: And scouts will tell you, you can't, you can't really coach hockey sense and you can't coach size. Um, it's difficult to improve skating by a great amount. You can Im- improve it by degrees. Do you ever come across someone that you think maybe has a red flag or even two that oh, yeah. <laughs> you think could maybe be smoothed out with a little a little hands-on work?
1: Yeah, like there's certain things. Maybe somebody doesn't handle stress well and then that would be my job. So. We're, you can still draft somebody who maybe isn't resilient because he's never been taught that. So you just know ahead of time, if I draft someone, here's his profile. And then once we interact with him, I just know I, ahead of time I need to start working with him on developing these skills. So there's certainly some skills, particularly when it comes to the mental aspects, that can be worked on and can be proved and doesn't mean that you shouldn't draft this player. It's just information if we draft him and we want them to be successful, we're going to have to stay on top of this. On the flip side, there's characteristics like competitiveness that I'm not so sure you can develop over time. I look at my kids, and I can tell which ones are very, very competitive and which ones maybe not as much. And so I think by the time they're 18, you already have a sense of what kind of competitor they're going to be. And so that would be something. If somebody was low on competitiveness, that might be a bit of a caution for me. Uh
0: also just the way things work in the NHL where you you've got you know every team has 18 or 20 Scouts they they're in charge of, of going around and, and watching these players deciding ultimately which, which you, know, you got seven arrows in the quiver so to speak with the at the draft in a given year these are the guys we're going to take and then they're done they move on to the next the next uh, year's crop and now it's the development guys who are in charge of of what happens next. But you still got guys scattered. Some of them are in Europe. Some of them are playing college. Some of them are playing, you know, in Canada and in the CHL. So everybody's got a little bit of a different developmental experience, but you want to kind of be nudging these guys all in the same direction. Like you said, you want them to to try to imbue that culture with them as much as you can before they're physically on site, you know, all the time. But then – even when the development part is done, if you get them to the NHL, now you've got another group of, of people to work with. So there's this these opportunities for disconnect along the way from drafting to developing to the finished NHL product. are there things that you can do to kind of smooth that process and and maybe bridge that that gap that, that can occur between a guy like from from say Ross Mahoney to the development guys to, Peter Laviolette.
1: Yeah, I think it's that constant communication across all the levels across the life cycle of a player and recognizing that just because you drafted him it it's not okay I'd never talk to him again I never see him again I'm only paying attention to the draft it's there you've invested in them. And they've collected all this information and making sure that does get passed on to the development coaches and the Hershey coaches and then to the uh, Washington coaches. And I think that consistency of information, the communication, just collecting information, but then make sure you're passing it on, too, is really, really important. Um, And getting different perspectives on players. So what scouts see might be different than what coaches see versus development coaches and figuring out – how do we open our eyes and really understand who this player is and what he needs? And I think, you know, I've only been here a week, but we do a really good job of that, of everybody communicating and talking with each other and helping everybody else out because at the heart of it, we're all working for the same organization and want the same things. And the more we work together, more likely we are going to win and so it's not just about developing the players it's about developing the organization but certainly cutting across all those areas and make sure we're connecting the dots throughout
0: so you mentioned you've been here a week what what do you do to hit the ground running what how do you put this is this there's a lot of scope here this is pretty pretty broad there's a there's a lot um Mm -hmm that's on your plate. How do you hit the ground running?
1: A lot of introductions and forgetting people's names right <laughs> now. Um, yeah, so I started out by just meeting the front office staff, getting to know them, getting to know the development coaches, since I'll be working a lot with them. And then slowly meeting the coaching staff as well and that's what I spent the first few days doing and now that they've started camp really trying to get to know the players and the leaders on the team and understanding all the people in the organization so over the last two days I've gotten to meet quite a few players um, and just talking to them individually who they are where they're from just to get to know who like that person as a person Um, and so that's what I've done and then just started looking at what are the habits we have how do we report things? What kind of things happen going on are going on, and figuring out what needs to be tackled first. So this first week is more learning and observe and observing and absorbing everything that I can, and then I'll really get down to business next week. And
0: then as this as the season plays out, I I, I understand you'll you'll be spending some time in Hershey, obviously, um, some time here. H- how do you envision that um, playing out over over the the season? Because obviously you've been doing this for. decade and a half now. Yeah, there's
1: ebbs and flows throughout the season. So I'll probably visit Hershey at least once a month, probably more early on just to get to know them. And typically what I'll do is I'll go into Hershey. I'll probably do a presentation for the team. So I talk to the coach about what's happening. If there's something that the team needs, it might be team building. It might be something more about the culture or the mentality of the team. And then I'll be available to meet with individuals and then probably a similar setup um, in Washington as well tends to be more at the individual level, or working with the leadership group, or even the coaches too. So it really just depends on what they need, and being available to be a support system and a resource for them.
0: But you've also doing some work with the U.S. Um, Olympic team, the the women's Olympic team, which I, I think is is incredible too. What what goes into that as far as obviously that the, the The two or three weeks right around the games will be the the most intense part of that. But what about between now and then in terms of do do, do any of those athletes reach out to you? Do you have ongoing conversations and whatnot with the staff and, and, and those uh, yeah. players as well. So
1: that's been a phenomenal experience. I started with them in February and I've really gotten to know the, the women that are involved and the coaching staff as well. And so they start residency October 1st and so they'll be in Blaine, Minnesota there and where they all get to train together and they really work towards that Olympic goal. So I'll go visit them out there in Minnesota a couple times each month and meet with them either as a team or individuals and then leading up to the game. Um, probably a little bit more often just to make sure we're, everybody's on the same page, they're ready to go. It's such an amazing group. They're all motivated. They <laughs> they know what their goal is and they're going to do what it takes to make it happen because this opportunity comes around once yeah. every four years. So they are, they've are they been dialed in for a while now and especially until the World Championships happened, they hadn't really played together for over a year and a half. So they're excited and ready for this. And then um, I'll be going over to China with them to help support them over there.
0: That's awesome. And, and I mean, I think it's great that they're getting together this early on too, because typically when you think, I think of the Olympics, you think, man, that's a tough job for the He's He or she has two weeks to kind of, you know, shape these, these, this group of players into a team. So I think it makes a lot of sense if you're able to do that. Obviously, the NHL doesn't have that luxury, um, but I guess back in the Herb Brooks days when they did use amateur players, they did the same thing. They had a camp that sort of built the team, and off they went.
1: Yeah, so it's definitely different on the men's side because they're kind of recruiting the players in from the different NHL teams, so they pick them, and then they head over, and they kind of become a team almost when they're over there. Um and so the nice thing, too, I, I said, you know, I know a lot of the coaches of the, the men's staff. So if they need anything, I'll really <laughs> be over there. So hopefully we get a couple capitals over there, too, that I can support. Even if they're not from the U.S., I'll still be there yeah. to support our guys. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's great that the women get to train together. And they've really kind of professionalized the way that they're, they're doing it. And I know they're excited. Most of them are already there. And they're really excited to be there.
0: Yeah, I think we're all excited to see how that plays out too. That should be a lot of fun. Well, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us today here uh, on breaking the ice. And as I said at the, at the beginning, uh, thrilled to have you here and welcome to DC and the Caps.
1: Thank you. Go Caps. Titan.